This morning, we come to the very last of our nine habits of the chronically unhappy. We've been thinking together about those patterns of thought and behavior that make you miserable. And the reason we've done that is we're convinced that God made us to be people of joy. And it's, it's habits that keep us from that experience of life that we were made for. At the very start of that series, I offered a ground rule. Maybe you remember this. I said you should listen with yourself in mind rather than thinking of other people. And I did that for a reason. When we think about bad habits and we see other people, either we look at them and how badly they're doing and we feel good about ourselves since we're doing better, or we see someone who's further along than we are and we feel bad about ourselves because we're not doing as well as they are. Both of those are completely unhelpful ways to listen in moments like this. And both of them represent this last habit, which is trying to keep up with the neighbors. A habit that we all engage in. And we do because we've learned how to calculate our self-worth in the wrong way. And that is by measuring ourselves against the people around us. All of us have been conditioned to believe that our value is a relative quantity rather than an absolute quantity. It's something that depends on how we compare to the people there or there. So if we see someone who's doing poorly, we feel better. If we see someone who's doing worse or better than we are, we feel less. Both of these are based on the same fundamental error in calculation, the habit of comparing ourselves through performance. It starts early on for us. Do you remember your third grade yearbook, the kid who was voted most likely to succeed? Does anybody? If you, if you were that kid, you feel good about yourself right now. If you were not, good luck to the rest of you losers. It already starts in grade school. We, we've learned that our value... I still remember. How, why did they give it to him? There's nothing wrong. Listen now. There's nothing wrong with the relative differences between us. In fact, I hope that this morning you'll see that they're by God's design and they're good. It's good that we're not all the same. But the problem comes when we learn to equate difference with value. So that other person who is objectively better than we are at something that we care about becomes a reason for us to feel bad about ourselves. Or that one that we find on purpose and keep looking at them who's doing a bad job becomes a twisted and unwholesome way for us to take courage and feel good about who we are. This is what God wants. Now, you should be cautious when someone stands before you and tells you they know what God wants, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> and I'm serious. I, I'm convinced of this. There's no ambivalence in me about this. God wants you to be free from that habit completely. God wants you to live in such a way that how you compare to other people loses all of its luster for you. He wants you to be completely free of it. And this is why. Your value doesn't depend on how you measure up to the people around you. It doesn't. It comes from the one solitary fact, which is that you were created by God. And because he made you, you are valuable inherently. And there is nothing that anyone else 
can do compared to you that will change or alter that truth about you. The most important thing about you is you were formed by the God who made the whole universe. There's a passage in the prophet Isaiah in which God speaks to the people of God at that time with very pointed words. Look at this. This is Isaiah 43, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Jacob, Israel, those are the names that stand for the people of God altogether in this time, the descendants of Abram the ones that God had created, the ones that God had formed for his own purposes. Look at what God says to them. Verse four, you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. In this moment, when God says these words to these people, they are not loved or honored because of how they compare to other people. It's one of the big misconceptions about the Hebrew scriptures that somehow they tell the story of a privileged people because they're better than others. No, in fact, in this time, the people of Israel stood out because of how disobedient they were being to God. They were not living like they were supposed to. They looked just like the rest of the nations. But in a moment like that, God spoke to them and said, still, even now, to me, you are precious when I look at you. You're honored. I love you. Why? Because he formed them because he created them. And there is nothing that they can do that can change that about them. Now, I'm gonna tell you what I know about you. You were made by God. You did not make yourself. You had nothing to do with the decisions, nor did anyone else in this world that ultimately led to the miracle of your being born. Do you ever think of that? the millions of little things that happen to end up so that here you are listening to me this morning and I think about it. Here I am standing before you. It's stunning to think about. Why am I here? Why are you here? God made you and you are loved by him because of that fact alone and there's nothing that you're able to do to change that no matter how poorly you compare to the people around you. And so God wants you to take that to heart and he wants to free you completely from the habit of comparing yourself to others so you don't do that anymore. Do you believe it? I'll tell you what, listen to me. I know it's very hard for people to actually feel that. And I know that because as a pastor, one of the things that I get to experience is people at their most sincere. Where they sit with me and they'll say things like everyone else looks at me and thinks I'm a success. I don't feel like it at all. I know with my mind that God loves me. It's very hard for me to believe it in my heart. I have heard that hundreds of times. Every time I hear it, it's, it shocks me still because I think, but you've got so much. So what I want this morning is to disavow you of that illusion that God's love is only for others who perform. And I'm going to use a children's book to do it to you this morning. Do you know the story, You Are Special by Max Licato? Okay, pretend you've never heard it. <laughs> this is a Wemmick. Wemmicks are small wooden people carved by Eli, the woodworker who lives in a workshop up there on the hill. Every Wemmick is different, even though they're all made by Eli, but that's what happens when you're handmade. Every day, the Wemmicks in their little village do the same thing. 
they give one another stickers, either from a box of golden stars or from a box of gray dots. The gold stars are for the Wemmicks who are smart and talented and who do good things. The gray dots, they're for Wemmicks whose paint is chipped or scuffed, who get things wrong, who are awkward and make mistakes. There was one Wemmick in the village who was covered with gray dots, Punchinello. Punchinello would try to be impressive to the other Wemmicks, and he would do some trick, but he always fell down, and that made it so his paint got scratched. He'd try to explain to the other Wemmicks why he made that mistake, and then he'd say something silly or awkward, and so they'd gather around him, and they would grab their boxes with their dots, and they would put the dots on him. When he would walk through the village later in the day, and the Wemmick would see how many gray dots he had, well, they'd give him another gray dot because he had so many. When he was alone, he would look at himself in the mirror, And all those gray dots eventually convinced him that he wasn't as good or as valuable or as lovable as the other Wemmicks in the village. He started to believe that he was a bad Wemmick. And he dealt with this by staying alone. He didn't even want to go outside ever again. Children's stories sometimes show us the truth that we don't want to look at as adults. I hope that you'll look at the truth in this story because it's a story that shows us what our world is like. Stars and dots at school, at work, at home. How many siblings feel like their sister or their brother, they're the ones who's always getting the stars We parents don't mean to, but we talk to our kids sometimes in a way that's like the sticker. And then we come to church. It happens in religious communities. We know what's expected and what's desirable and what's wanted for us Christians. And we manage our appearance externally to try to get those stars and avoid those dots. The secret is, doesn't work. Doesn't work if you get all the gold stars in the world. this habit of trying to keep up with the neighbors. Every time a person is sucked into it, and I know about this because I still get sucked into it, they're engaging in a behavior, an activity, which is completely unreliable. It's totally unhelpful and it's altogether unreal. I'm gonna dwell on those three words for a minute because at the very least, I want you to take this away this morning. I know when people get together in church, not everybody thinks about God in the same way. These three they're just unambiguously true. The information that you get when you compare yourself to other people is first of all unreliable. All you need to do is to cast a critical eye on what's happening and you'll see it too. When I compare myself to another person, I have two pictures in my imagination, me and them. The picture that I have of myself is always carefully edited by me in such a way that I try to ignore what I'm doing when I craft that image of me. That picture that I make of me, depending on my personality, is either 
worse than I really am or better than I really am. I set that beside the picture that I have of the other person, which they've showed me. They've also edited the picture of themselves, which I'm looking at. So when I compare these two together, it is totally unreliable. You know, they say you should compare apples to apples. This is like apples to something that's not even a fruit because neither one of them is really accurate. And so that comparison between them and me is unreliable. Do you see it? Now, if I take unreliable information and try to make a decision based on that, well, then I'm going to do something which is completely unhelpful. And this is so plain in that not only is it inaccurate, it does me no good to engage in this activity. And here, this isn't just my opinion. There has been extensive research done on what happens when people engage in social comparison. Okay, they've done this with Facebook and the increased time that people spend on Facebook or on Instagram, the more I engage in comparing their outsides to my insides, the worse I feel. And it can be measured. Anxiety goes up, depression goes up, self-esteem goes down, well-being diminishes with the more time that I spend and therefore it is profoundly unhelpful. And it, it doesn't take a scientist to tell you this because their vacation looks a lot better than your vacation does but that's because they only showed you the highlights and not all the miserable time where your luggage got lost and the food was cold and all that. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying, right? And they look better than you. They're thinner than you are. Their clothes are nicer. Their food looks so much more delicious. Nobody ever shows you how the lentil soup really looked because it's gross, but that's how it works. And what it does, what this does to you is it feeds in you the most inhumane impulses in you. Resentment, jealousy, envy, and even malevolence. And it's not too much to say that, malice. It makes you wish that something would go wrong with their kids. You don't want to admit it. It's true. I, people have told me that. It makes it so you can't celebrate when something good happens for them. And now listen, God does not want us to be stuck in those kinds of loops. He doesn't. He actually made us to be happy when someone we know has a success he made us like that and, and, and not to be miserable and to be properly joyful when something goes our way instead of worrying whether if I tell them this, is it going to make them feel bad? That unhelpfulness is such a tragedy because the whole thing is unreal. And I wish I could convince every person of this fact. The stars and the dots thing, it's made up. It doesn't have to have the impact on us that it does. It's just a large game that we've all decided to play together. And I say we all because I can do it as well. It is not the way our value really is established. It, it's not. We don't diminish in value as human beings because we made a mistake or scratched our paint and other people thought we were bad and we're not better than other people because we succeeded here or there. In fact, how we compare to other people, strictly speaking, is totally irrelevant. Here's where I, I go from just being a, an observer of human beings to your pastor. It's a tragedy because God right now sees each one of us and wants to liberate us from the misery, the prison cell of trying to keep up with our neighbors so we're worth more in our own eyes. It's, it's, it's horrible, and he wants to free us from it. And we can be free of it. We can. Back to the children's story. 
One afternoon, most of the Wemmicks were in the town square. Punchinello left his place and he went off to be alone and he found another Wemmick who was also standing by herself and she was not like any other Wemmick he'd ever met. Her name was Lucia. She had no stickers on her at all. No dots, no stars. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It was just that as soon as they were put on her, they fell off. The Wemmicks would see, there's one who has no gray dots. She must be special. They would grab a gold star. They would put it on her, but it wouldn't stick. It would just fall to the ground. Or they would say, oh, look at her, no stars. And they would grab a box with the dots and they would stick it on there, but the gray dot would fall off. When Punchinello saw her, he thought, I want to be like that. I don't want to be driven by getting praise from other people. I don't want to be afraid of what other people think of me anymore. And so he asked her, how is it that you have no stickers on you? She smiled. Oh, that's easy. It's because every day I leave town and I walk up the hill and I spend time with Eli, the, the craftsman in his shop, and we just talk. Punchinello had no idea what she meant. What, what are you talking about? What, why does that do anything? What is it with time with him? How does that help? And so she said, you'll have to go find out yourself. Why don't you go up there and spend time with him and see what happens? Men and women and young people who spend time with God will see what happens. Who set down their phone or their computer, they take a step away from their friends and their family and work and go into some kind of solitude where they're able to be in the presence of God. If you do that, watch what happens. Because there you'll be in the presence of the one, listen carefully now, who knows you, even the things that you hide from everybody else because you don't want to get any more gray dots. And who, despite all of the reasons you might think he would not want me around, he welcomes you just as you are. That's who God is. It's very hard for us to believe this, but it's emphatically true that the way it works with God is that the door is open. And you go into his presence known just as you are and you are completely and totally welcomed. There are no conditions with God when it comes to his receiving of you. That's the story of Christian faith that in Jesus Christ, the door is open. And when you're there, you will find that you are beloved. Why? One reason. He made you. In the middle of the Bible, there are Psalms which are kind of like meditations or songs or poems written by people who spend time with God. One of them, Psalm 139. It pictures just this dynamic. Listen to these words. Imagine going into God's presence with these words. Listen. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my 
ways. God, there's nothing about me that is a secret to you. You know everything. The stuff I show on the outside and I'm proud of, the stuff that I'm ashamed of and I hide, all of it is known to you. Look at verse four. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. Even the things that are thoughts and feelings inside of me, those also are known to you, God. Before I say a word, it's known to you. It's so magnificent how much attention and time you direct toward me, oh God. I can't even understand or imagine how I could be the object of so much of your care and your concern. That's what's being said here. He goes on, listen to this, to imagine, to imagine whether Knowing all of this, God would want to be with him or to be with her. Have you ever wondered that? If God knew this, would he still want me? Watch this. This is verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, that's the underground beneath the earth, You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I were to achieve the greatest achievements and ascend all the way to the top of heaven, or if I was the biggest failure that earth had ever seen, so I sank below the depths in both places, you're there. If I, if I could fly and I grew wings and tried to flee away from you, God, and went to the other side of the world to get away, you would even be there. And in that place, your hand, your gentle, kind, benevolent, fatherly grasp would wrap me up and you'd hold me. What if it became so bad I was hopeless? Ever feel like that? What if I was convinced in my heart of hearts that God was against me and I rebelled and ran away or my misery, my depression, my anxiety made me despair of life? What then? And I say that because I know that we, Wemmicks, feel like that. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. There is no misery that can block out the light of God. None. There's no grief, no anxiety, no regret, no addiction, no failure, no problem, no amount of gray dots. Wherever you are, there the light of God comes and shines upon you. Why? Why everything in your heart that has been conditioned in the world that we live in right now is saying, well, because you believed the right thing or, or you, 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 you acted the right way or you got things in order and you follow Jesus just right or you made this commitment or whatever it is. No, none of that is why. Here's why. Open your heart now. Verse 13 For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It's because before you were born, God was making you. That's why. Like my mom knits a sweater or socks. She does that thinking of the people who are going to get them. And she's careful. 
It's like that. It's like God knew that you would be right here this morning before you existed and was thinking in that moment, I am making something wonderful. I am making something right now that is precious in my eyes. I'm making something right now that's good. And knowing all that you would do wrong, knowing it all, Verse 14, this is a true statement. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. That's what happens to the person who sits in the presence of God, away from all of those others with their stickers and is there in God's presence. That person's able to say, I know it. I am fearfully made. Fearfully in Hebrew means awesome. It means worthy of respect and honor and awe. It means intrinsically, it is given to me based on the design of the artisan who made me that I am awesome. It's hard to say that about yourself, don't you think? You don't want to say that too loud around other people. You can say that when you're by yourself. (laughs) Wonderfully, that Hebrew word means uniquely. It means like no one else. You are the only you. And that's because God made you. And when you think to yourself, I'm no good, I can't be loved because of all of the dots, that's a lie. Do you know what it's like to feel like that? I remember one of the darkest days in my life. It was in, in the summer of 2000 or 2001. I was sitting in a field in Princeton feeling like I could never be loved by another person because of what I'd lived through in the years behind me. And I was weeping. You've seen me cry a little. You saw nothing. It was a mess. There was snot like that. It was like Ghostbusters out of my nose. And my friend, thank God, I had a friend who was sitting there with me, and he was a theological uh, graduate student as I was. And I said to him, I feel like no one could ever love me. He said to me, there's only one way that would be true, Christian. That would only be true if God didn't make you. You may be audacious enough to say, well, I wasn't made by God. I hope not. But if you can say, I was, then you have been made to be loved and you are lovely. Punchinello decided to take a chance after meeting Lucia. And so he walked out of town one afternoon and he went up the hill to the workshop and he got inside and it was just so impressive and so grand. The first thought he had was, I don't belong here. I should not be in this place. Who am I to come into a place like this? And so he decided to do what anyone in that situation would. He turned and he started to walk away. But before he got out, he heard the voice. He'd never heard it before of Eli. And Eli said, Punchinello, I'm glad you've come to see me. You know my name? Of course I do. I made you. Come over here and let me have a look at you. I've been wanting you to come so bad. Eli picked him up and looked at him. The first thing that he saw was all of the dots. You have been given a lot of bad marks. Eli said. I'm so sorry, Eli. I I didn't try to. 
I didn't mean to. I, I, stop, stop, stop. I don't care. They don't mean anything at all to me. They were given to you by the other Wemmicks. Who are they to give you, Marks? I made them. I don't care about those thoughts and neither should you. The way that Eli spoke to him and looked at him was like nothing he'd ever experienced in his whole life. I met someone who told me about you. Her name was Lucia. She had no dots, Eli said. I know. She's been talking to me about you every day. It's one of the reasons why I've been longing for you to come. Do you know that someone has been talking to God about you? If you're thinking of someone, talk about that person to God in your heart right now while I continue. We are free to leave behind the habit of comparing ourselves to others because strictly speaking, and that is a statement, a theological statement that's based on the doctrine of creation, it just doesn't matter what they think. The only thing that matters is the one who made you. And when he looks at you, he loves you. Punchinello thanked Eli, and as he walked out, before he got out of the workshop, one of the gray dots fell off. And Eli said, come back tomorrow and we'll keep that going. Here's some words from scripture. And they're written about you. Listen. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And he gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's, here's another uh, word from scripture for you. God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, covered with gray dots. Rarely will a person die for someone else, although maybe for a good person, someone might dare to die, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a word about you. Would you let some of those gray dots loosen up and fall off? Would you put down your box of gray dots and stop putting them on other people? Yes? Yeah. Even, the, even the gold stars. What God wants for you is to be like that Wemmick Lucia who was able to stop caring and to be the kind of person who helps others know how beloved they are by God. And that's what God wants, I think, for our church, Renaissance Church. And I do speak for us as the pastor of this church. He wants us to be a church that exhibits the love and grace of God to all people. And it starts with us letting God love us and reflecting that love into the world. Would you open your heart to God's love for you? Not just your mind, but your heart. Would you do that? Let me pray for you in that. God, you have gathered us here together this morning on purpose. Before even a word of today's message was a thought in my mind, you knew it completely. And that kind of knowledge is too wonderful for me. But I thank you that you have made this day into a day where I was able to say these things to the people that you love and have gathered into this room this morning and those who are tuning in online far away. I ask that anything that would close our hearts 
to this message would be taken away. And I ask that we would find ourselves in your presence, able to say that you are the one who made us and that you have made us fearfully and wonderfully and that your works are wonderful. Free us from this habit of trying to keep up with the neighbors and not only this one, but all that we have studied in these weeks behind so that Renaissance Church altogether can become a light, a beacon of your grace and goodness and others can be drawn not to us, but to you so that they would find themselves in your gracious grip. Beloved, strengthened, joyful. We ask for these things all together in Jesus' name. Amen.